the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Thursday, October 14th, 2021. What a beautiful day. Have you been outside today, Bill? Been running? You had your running clothes on earlier. Were you doing the stairwell? What were you doing? Stairwell. Record time? Personal best? <laughs> you were also, how long have you worked for this company? I beat you. I realized today our good friend Diane has 25 years today, so happy anniversary to Diane. And uh, I beat you since I started in April of 04. I think so. I think so. Yes. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. Um, I, was re- I was listening to a, a, a debate today about critical race theory, the schools, and Merrick Garland's – Attorney General Merrick Garland's memo – uh, threatening police action, federal police action against parents showing up at school boards. By the way, if one wants to understand why some parents are upset, just look to Loudoun County and who gets arrested for what. Engage in sexual assault, get moved. Be the father of the victim, get arrested. Just understand the Latin phrase Bill Buckley introduced to the American lexicon. Quad licit lovi non licit jovi. What is good for the gods is not good for the swine or the cattle. That's what they think of us. It's the exact perversion of natural right and the exact perversion of the basis this country was founded on. Men were not supposed to be gods or animals. All men, by the rule of nature, were supposed to be equal. Understand what's going on here. Please do. But I was thinking um, about that, and, and, and I went back and I read the National Association of School Boards letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland, which set this whole thing off. And I didn't realize something. I heard it on another platform today, I think on this network, another show on this network. I had not heard it. I didn't know this. The rapidity with which the National Association of School Boards got their message to Merrick Garland and Merrick Garland pulled the trigger of his letter and threat is must be a record in federal government behavior. He got the letter from the National Association of School Boards on Friday. By Monday, he was threatening the FBI against school board meetings, school board members. I didn't realize it was that quick. So I went back to read the National Association of School Boards letter to Merrick Garland that catalyzed all this. And I, because I, I was wondering where this notion of power from the federal government to engage in all this comes from. And it's right in there. That's why you've been hearing the Patriot Act. They suggest the National Association of School Boards, which, by the way, was opposed to the Patriot Act up until now is suggesting its use and justification to go after school board members. And it 
had me thinking just a little bit, not about the original intent of the Constitution. I understand that being far gone, but the original point of the Patriot Act and the original notion of patriotism and the perversion that has taken place before our very eyes in the newspeak with which we live. Patriotism to Joe Biden is wearing a mask and getting a vaccine. He tells you that. It is not what we thought it was. Patriotism is sitting down for the national anthem or coming up with two national anthems, not standing up for it. Patriotism is not standing up for the Pledge of Allegiance or reciting it, not doing that. That is the new world of patriotism, wearing a mask, meaningless rituals, meaningless rituals of insignificance, exquisite attention to meaningless rituals of insignificant meaning. That's what patriotism is, wearing a mask and getting vaccinated. And it dawned on me, where have I thought about this before? It has to do with the word liberty, but it can just as well be the word patriotism. You've heard me quote that wonderful portion of Abraham Lincoln's speech where he said the world has never had a good definition of the word liberty and the American people just now are much in want of one. We all declare for liberty, but in using the same word, we do not all mean the same thing. With one, with some, the word liberty may mean for each man to do as he pleases with himself and the product of his labor, while with others, the same word may mean for some men to do as they please with other men and the product of their men's labor. Well, replace the word patriotism here and take out labor. The world may never have had a good definition of patriotism, and the American people just now are much in want of one. Well, we did have a good definition of it for quite some time. For quite some time, we had a good definition of it, until recently, until recently. And I, it, it dawned on me, it's probably time, as George Orwell once said, where the duty of the educated man is nothing short of just simply restating the obvious. I think we have moved very far from the obvious, and we've done it slowly, but my concern is that it settles in. My concern is that we become numb or inured to it. My concern is that we get used to it. My concern is that we no longer choke, cough, or sneeze over this toxic air, but have adapted to it. And it's become, shall I say it, a phrase I don't like, the new normal. Patriotism is not, and the Patriot Act was never intended to, be used against American citizens exercising nothing more than their First Amendment rights, their rights to petition the government for a redress of grievances, their rights of free speech. Remember how Benjamin Cardozo put it, one of the more progressive Supreme Court justices. Law school is named after him. He said, of the First Amendment, one may say that it is the matrix, the indispensable condition of nearly every other form of freedom. So, yeah, maybe we do need to have another definition of freedom, but right now I'd like to focus on patriotism for just a moment. I had a – as I get there and stay with me, I, ha I was having a uh, conversation with a um, very, very, very well-respected 
attorney in town who is a liberal guy. Uh, and a little bit in his age, uh, up there in the age. And he said to me, I haven't listened to your show, but I see a sign for it. And you guys are called The Patriot. Your show is called The Patriot. So, well, it's not my show. It's the branding for the station, The Patriot. A lot of radio stations have those kinds of branding names. And he said, I don't think it's quite right that you conservatives think you can just own the word patriotism. And I said, I don't think we ever claimed to own it. But, you know, we put up with a lot of this in this world, don't we? He said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, does the American broadcasting system, ABC, have a ha, 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 have they cornered the market on what it means to be American? Um, there's the Columbia broadcasting system, Columbia being a synonym for America, CBS. Does that not bother you? It doesn't bother me. It's not something I have ever given any thought to. But if you on the left – don't think we ourselves have a right to call ourselves patriots. What does that say about the next time I hear a leftist say he's a patriot? Does he not have the right to call himself that? It's an interesting thing. They don't like conservatives. And this is more than anecdotal, I have to tell you, as, you'll, as, as you have noted from the news of late. This is more than anecdotal. They don't think we're patriots. They think we're dumb. They think we're idiotic. They think we're wrong, and they think we're extremists. So note the tactic. Note the tactic. When we point to you name it, you name it, the kind of stuff we like and thinks makes us patriots. Jefferson, Thomas Paine, George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, the founders, Hamilton. Go down the list, Madison. When we point to their stuff. Do you think it's accidental that the National Association of School Boards, critical race theory, and the ethic of the day no longer wants that stuff taught? For what do we point to as informing us and heroic if they have destroyed as iconoclasts all those documents that we would point to? If they aren't destroying them, they simply dismiss them as the brain work and handiwork of dead white men. It's an interesting thing when you think about the rights they seek having come from other dead white men. Quad licit lovi, non licit bovi. I have a lot more to say about patriotism when we call, come right back. And if you want to weigh in, 602-508-0960 on anything you want. We'll be right back. I was using an antiquated form of Latin, listener Steve informs me of. It, 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 the better use of Latin is jovi, not lovi. Quad licit jo, uh, uh, jovi, non, non licit lovi. A bovi. Um, anyway, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe we all just listen to the story of love by John Bon Jovi and. Call it a day. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's talk about patriotism for a minute. America hasn't had a good definition of it in a while, and thus its perversion. Walter Burns uh, wrote a book on patriotism called Making Patriots. 
And he wrote, our unique place in the world is recognized elsewhere, sometimes grudgingly or inadvertently. In 1987, the bicentennial of our Constitution, I was in Brazil where the people had recently overthrown a military dictatorship and had begun the process of writing a democratic constitution. I'd been invited to lecture on constitutionalism at one place. After I'd finished my prepared remarks, someone got up and denounced, not me, but the official who sponsored my appearance. Why, he shouted, did you invite an American? What can they tell us about constitutions? They've only had one. Why didn't you invite a Bolivian? They've had a hundred. Let's stay with Burns a few moments. You can have a hundred constitutions if you pervert the one. And maybe we do have a hundred constitutions and we just haven't been informed of it. But he goes on, it would be convenient to believe that citizens will naturally be patriots. But in fact, neither citizenship nor patriotism can be taken for granted, especially in a liberal democracy or republican form of government like the United States. In the traditional Spartan sense, patriots are citizens who love their country simply because it is their country. Because it is the birthplace and the mansion of their fathers, as de Tocqueville puts it in Democracy in America. Citizenship and patriotism were one and the same thing in ancient Greek. It was a kind of fatherly or filial piety. But we aren't ancient Greek. We aren't Sparta, Greece. We aren't Sparta. Citizenship has, first of all, a legal meaning for us, according to the Constitution, just look at the 14th Amendment. A citizen is any person born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. But citizenship is, even for us, more than legal status and the enjoyment of privileges and immunities, isn't it? In a larger sense, it's a sentiment or state of mind, an awareness of sharing an identity with others to whom one is related by nationality, if not by blood, a sense of belonging to a community for which one bears some responsibility. In a word, citizenship implies public spiritedness, and, in, in, and it's in this sense that it cannot be taken for granted. It has to be cultivated, as does patriotism. It has to be cultivated. A lot of people are born in countries and naturally think it's just the right thing to love their country, but it's because it's their country. But is it a good country? Is it a good country that warrants patriotism is the question. And people have to be – children have to be cultivated towards right-minded patriotism because no one is born loving his country from the get-go. It's not natural but has to be somehow taught or acquired. A person may not even be born loving himself. Authorities differ on this. But soon enough – most children learn to do so, and unless something is done about it, a child will continue to do so, and in a manner that makes a concern for country and fellow countrymen or anyone other than himself difficult, if not impossible, to have. The problem is as old as politics, and no country is exempt from having to deal with it. But for reasons having to do with our principles, American principles, we can't do it as others have before us. You need more than just accident and chance. Socrates, the first political philosopher, proposed a program of education for the guardians of the city. A lot of you know this. It's described by Plato, and it 
consisted of a designed, carefully designed program, gymnastics for the body and music for the soul. Socrates then suggests that the guardians of the city be told a tale. And the tale is meant to persuade them that it is natural for them to love and care for their city. They must be told that they only dreamed they had been educated in and by their city, that they were born of the earth and were fully formed along with the weapons, and that the earth is their, which is their mother had then sent them up, and that now, as though their land were their mother and nurse, they must plan for it and defend it, and they must think of the other citizens as brothers are born of the same earth. It's hard to believe that anyone, least of all an American today, could credit this tale, but it does serve to highlight the most fundamental of political problems. It's also worth noting the Spartans actually believed that tale or something like it. Despite our practice of celebrating it as the birthplace of democracy or the nursery of Western civilization, Athens was not like America. Pericles makes that clear as well. He says Athenians were lovers of wisdom, which suggests that their constitution, like ours, protected freedom of speech and freedom of religion. But after what amounted to a fair trial, what did they do? They executed Socrates for his impiety, right? There was no separation of church and state in Athens, nor was there anything resembling what we call civil society or mediating structures, the kind of private associations that are so prominently written up in Tocqueville's Democracy in America. Makes one think about how the left today tries to weaken our private associations, doesn't it? And their attendant necessities like freedom of speech, religion, and association. But nothing distinguishes us so sharply from the classical republic of, of uh, republics of yore or bears more directly on the issue of citizenship than the principles governing our birth as a nation and then incorporated into the republic we ordained and established. These principles gave rise to an altogether new understanding of what it means to be a patriotic citizen. To borrow from Lincoln, our case was new and so we had to think and act anew. I think we should say a few words about the newness of our case or to recall the motto inscribed on the great seal of the United States and reproduced on every dollar bill. What is it that made for a novus order, excuse me, a novus ordo seclorum? A lot of Latin today, which is to say a new order of the ages. We were the first nation to declare its independence by appealing not to the past, but to the new discovered, newly discovered laws of nature and of nature's God. And this has consequences for patriotism. Let me talk to you about those consequences for patriotism when we come right back. Hope this is useful. We'll be right back. 602-508-0960. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. 34 After the Hour brings us the Culture and Economy Update with John Dombrowski, host of his own show on this station every 7 a.m. every Saturday right here he is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. J.D., how are you? Fantastic. You know, that song reminds me. I don't know if it was uh, 
uh, one of the Indiana Jones. Yeah, that's uh, what it opens. Yeah, it's the was, second it? one, Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom. Okay. That's where it's from. That's exactly right. It's right. right. That was sung by his then wife, Steven Spielberg's then wife, whose name I can't remember. Yes, I don't remember either. But that's who it was. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly where it that's was. That's funny. Okay. It's a hell of an opening. Heck yeah. of an opening, isn't wasn't it? it? Wasn't it like a Japanese or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in China. China. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. And uh, it's yep. a beautiful scene, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speaking of yeah. uh, some more culture, I uh, want to you know, think about uh, a number of years ago. Uh, someone broke the sound barrier, Chuck Yeager. Yes. And that was uh, October 14th on this day, 19, no kidding. 1947. No kidding. Yes. Now, uh, to break the sound barrier, uh, he flew, uh, I think it was 40,000 feet as far as elevation, but exceeding 662 miles an hour to break the sound barrier. Now, think of that, right? Here we are. Uh, how, m- how many years from then? And we've got yesterday, I think it was, William yeah, Shatner. Yeah, yeah. A 90-year-old, yeah. uh, the oldest man now to fly into space, uh, took off on uh, with Blue Origin. Yeah. And uh, the you know what the, the That's speed, a nice connection, You know the what the speed of uh, the maximum oh, speed? Oh, you are smart. What is it? 2,235 miles no per hour. No kidding. Better so than three almost, times Jaeger's speed. Right, three and a half times, basically, what uh, Jaeger... It raises did. a complicating question. Yeah. As space travel becomes more common, are we mm-hmm. going to have speed limits? Ah. <laughs> In ra- space, you may have yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't just have every former actor flying <laughs> into the, yeah, the, into, in, into the stratosphere at whatever speed they want. And can you drink in space? Yeah. I mean, that's another thing. <laughs> <laughs> drink while flying, yeah. Well, right. the thing is, if you're not really flying it because it's on autopilot, that's right. can you? you that's know? right. Then you have all kind of open container issues, Because though. now, you know, can you, uh, even in town, when you pick up uh, one of the... Uh, driverless vehicles, and that's not what they call them now. There's a there's a term for it. <laughs> no, I think I'm it's sure. Passenger, <laughs> I think it's passenger only vehicle. Okay, something like that yeah. is the correct term. Yeah. Uh, being that you're not driving, can you drink while you're in the passenger? Yeah, no, it's know, a it's vehicle? a fair question. It's uh, a very good. Know. question. But one thing to think about too yeah. is, is of course when uh, we were breaking the sound barrier back in 1947, and uh, NASA was doing all of these experiments to try to get us into space, people couldn't invest in that. That was the that's United right. States government. That's but today, right. yeah. People have the opportunity if they are, you know, excited and risk takers and want to invest yeah. in this new technology, you can do it. Yep. And there are uh, funds out there that you can invest in. And if they need information about that, would like to experiment in that. Would, ar- would you do it, John, given yeah. given all the money in the world? Would you do it? All the money in the well, world? Well, whatever money it you know, took that you – that yeah, say mean, you won the lottery yesterday it was the exact amount of a ticket to space. Would you do oh, that? Oh, the exact – boy, I'll tell you just one. No, I wouldn't do that. But if I had enough money to throw away like maybe some of these people yeah. do, I may I, – I would probably consider doing it. Okay. Yeah, I would. Okay. It seems like it's at least for now. Anyway, okay. All fairly right. safe as long as uh, – you know, in the private hands, things maybe sometimes – Yeah, we, yeah so far bit, we're, uh, we're, we're doing great yeah, on, on no that one's, front. No one's uh, been injured yet. The market did great. Market did well today as well, so, and it's, it's interesting because we, we got a better-than-expected um, um, unemployment report. Right. We also got uh, the beginning of earnings season. I've been talking about this. Earnings is coming, and this was going to be an indicator as to how we were going to uh, you know, start to look forward for the markets and see what type of level of, of – uh, you know, interest in the market. Uh, you know, have we hit a bottom? Are we are – we, uh, at a point to where investors feel value now has come back into the market, and we have we see a little bit of a resistance level here uh, that we're hit bumping against as we dropped. Uh, today was the best day for the S&P 500 since March. 
So we saw a strong recovery today, uh, S&P up 1.7%. Uh, the Dow is up uh, over 500 points, up, right. you know, 1.5%. And the NASDAQ, which is the technology sector, um, 1.73%. And, you know, I've talked about this, that that could be an area that could potentially have some challenges as interest rates rise because these growth companies, as I mentioned, usually uh, are interest rate sensitive because – uh, these are not companies that are uh, taking their profits and giving them back to their shareholders in the form of dividends like some of the other uh, maybe non-growth companies out there, maybe more of our consumer staples companies, the um, Cloroxes of the world and such, uh, that pay a dividend. Um, but here we've got growth companies in the NASDAQ, tech companies, that have now been, again, once again, showing strength. And we've got investors out there feeling comfortable and confident uh, to bring money back into this market. And this is not just the average person, Seth, that is driving the market up in, in, at you know these high percentages in a single day of trading. These are much larger. These are the big, big firms on Wall Street that are pushing the money into the markets, believing that there's some true value in there. So that could give uh, people out there who have been concerned over the past couple of weeks a little bit nervous or whatever sure. it might be, maybe give them a little bit of um, satisfaction that maybe they're going to be okay. Um, there's always risk, though, Seth, as, as we talk about. But, again, remember, time in the market, not time R- in the market. No, no, that's right. There's risk and worry. For our next visit, I'm seeing yep. a poll on worry, actually, mm-hmm. economic worry. Yep. Yep. Something like almost 50% of households say their financial difficulties are worse than before COVID. And uh, mm-hmm. I wonder if we might sure. we might talk about saving strategies and preventing those kinds of strategies in our next, uh, preventing those kinds of problems and concerns in our next visit. You got it. That's the reach, business you're yep. in. Yeah. People can reach me. Send me an email to dearjohn at grandcanyonplanning.com. Dearjohn at grandcanyonplanning.com. He wants a Dear John yes, letter. Yes, a Dear John okay. letter. Yes, Securities and Advisory Services are to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Fenrin Sipic and an investment advisor. Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Nicely done, Jimmy. Thank you, sir. And I like the history lesson. Bless you, sir. <laughs> Bless you. Brother. All right. Hard, hard, hard to give you my voice after that one. But let me just con- give, give my concluding thoughts on patriotism in America before I go to call 602-508-0960. The point I was trying to make about patriotism, America, and its different understanding than what the Athenians had or for that matter what the biblical cities uh, in the middle uh, – in, uh, in, in ancient Israel had – um, a patriotic citizen isn't a natural inclination at birth. Endowed by nature with certain private rights, man enters civil society and agrees consent to be governed, but only in order to secure his rights. He is a far cry from the Athenians of Greek who were about glory and empire. The American human beings aspires to nothing more really than leading an essentially private life, joining, but only if he wishes, any number of private associations constituting what has come to be called civil society, a church, dare I say a labor union, a trade association, a club, temple, whatever, synagogue. He asks for government only that it protect his rights. And the government, besides asking him to respect the rights of others, should ask very little of him in return. 
He is expected to perform his civic duties, of course, but he's not required to do so. For example, he's not required to vote. He's not required to hold office. He's not required to join a certain church or synagogue or mosque. He lives in a self-governing democracy or republic. But unlike the citizens of every previously existing democracy, he's not himself a governor of others. Governing is done by his representatives. It is, of course, true that he's required to surrender his natural rights when leaving a state of nature, except, of course, the few unalienable ones, the surrender of which would contradict the very purpose of leaving the state of nature. But in trading those out, as it were, a citizen in America gains the security that only government can provide. For example, the Constitution makes it clear that he cannot be deprived of life, liberty, and property without due process of law. As John Jay puts it in Federalist 2, nothing is more certain than the indispensable necessity of government, and it is equally undeniable that whenever and however it is instituted, the people must cede to it some of their rights in order to vest it with the requisite powers. Nevertheless, it remains true with us that rights are primary and duties are secondary and derivative. I don't know. It just seemed to me right about now as the Patriot Act is threatened to be used against patriots. We could all have used a little bit of a reminder and definition of what patriotism really is. Rob is in surprise. Hello, Rob. Happy belated birthday to the Navy, by the way. Well, Seth, I, I listened to you yesterday, and I appreciate that. And leave it to John Dombrowski for uh, bringing up Chuck Yeager's breaking of the sound barrier on this day in 1947. But <clears throat> I do have more. On this day in 1066, the Battle of Hastings, uh, the Normans under William the Conqueror uh, beat King Harold II and defeated it. And killed. I think Harold was the guy that got the arrow through his eye or something. I, I, I should have brought this up. You're right. Well, no. <laughs> that's, that's why I'm here for you, man. Um, anyway, I think he was also, uh, Harold II, I think, was the last Anglo-Saxon king of England. Um, in 1912, Teddy Roosevelt, who was the presidential candidate, he actually got shot on this day. Um also on this day, besides Chuck Yeager. By the way, on the 19- Teddy Roosevelt story, there are few people about whom there can be no bad biography, no matter how hard they try. He's one of them. Mm-hmm. You re- mm-hmm. I have read several biographies of Teddy Roosevelt, and you just – this is an impressive man. You may not like his politics. It's yeah. an impressive man. And he gave no, – he I was shot it. in the chest. Let me just make this yep. – he was shot in the chest on the way to giving a speech. He gave the darn yep. speech. <laughs> he gave the speech. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. I mean, that's that's impressive. He yeah. was a robust guy yeah. who actually, when he was younger. Yeah, sickly know, as heck. Yeah. They didn't know if he'd make yeah, it. He, yeah. Now, in uh, also on today in 1962, this was the first day of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah. October. Right. Days in October. Yeah, what was six certainly. days in October? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, the missiles of October. Yeah, missiles of October, um, right. And also, 
Yeah, and then um, in 1964, Martin Luther King Jr. was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize okay. on this day. Good. And in a uh, in a complete opposite uh, perspective, uh, Nikita Khrushchev was outed as the premier of, or ousted as the premier of uh, the USSR, and he was succeeded by Brezhnev. Yep. Now. Uh, so, what year was that? Kind of Fifty. That was nineteen sixty-four. Sixty-four. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But um, yesterday, um, I was listening to Seb Gorka when he had Victor Davis Hanson on, and they they talked at length about. Well, Victor Davis Hanson talked at length about citizenship, and the citizenship both in the ancient Greeks and the Romans, and I, I thought about that a lot over the last 24 hours and i think you know we talk a lot about freedom and liberty um but i think one of the great things that's lacking in america these days is good citizens yes and by that by that i mean you know responsible paying attention to what's going on this is so important and um, we're hitting the break you want to hold the thought and we'll continue on it on the other side absolutely okay thanks and there's room for more We'll get to all of you. 602 We'll be right back. We have a member in the audience the song was written about. I'd love to hear from her again. That would be a lot of fun. Rob, thanks for waiting. Go ahead. You were going to say something further on citizenship, I believe. Well, yeah, I, I think um, it hasn't been talked about enough. I think that, um, again, a real citizen uh, is not just a patriot who believes in liberty and freedom, but is, is a responsible, mature adult who knows that they have certain responsibilities. And one of those big responsibilities, I think, is to... Um, you know, maintain all the ideals that the country stands for, whether it's the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, uh, American history, and to, again, pass it on to the next generation. And and I think that's where maybe we, we should emphasize citizenship or good citizenship more than even liberty and uh, patriotism and uh, freedom, only because I think... A lot of people forget in the U.S. that they're citizens. Well, the ones that are legal anyway. Yeah. And with citizenship comes responsibility. Of course. And I and I don't think that a lot of American citizens really understand that it's a big responsibility because that's the one thing that will maintain our country uh, by having people that are good citizens. Uh, and if we don't have them, and unfortunately it's pretty clear that we don't have enough good citizens, um, we need to make sure that we kind of reinstill good citizenship um, in, into as many Americans as we can. I remember when my, I think it was my oldest daughter was about five or six. She won a good citizen award in her kindergarten or first grade. And I thought, you know, that was really cool. But I think that's something, again, that <clears throat> maybe the schools need to sort of reinstate again. Like, what is a good citizen and what does it represent? I'm with you. you. I, I Totally. Yeah. This is where we used to get it from our schools. Yeah. This is where oh, we used yeah. to get it. And I well remember uh, I well remember Pledge of Allegiance. I well remember going around the flag in elementary school on certain days and singing patriotic songs. 
And I rem- well remember having the pictures of these people up in our classrooms in the first and second mm-hmm. grade. It's not just the scholars, Rob, like Walter Burns or or anyone uh, writing eruditely about citizenship and what you just said, the responsibility of passing it to our children. It's 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 straight out of Ronald Reagan. He too understood. He too knew that it just doesn't pass to the children in the bloodstream. Isn't that his famous quote about freedom never more than one generation away? We don't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It's got to be fought for, protected, and then handed on for them to do the same. How much of that is happening? How much of that is happening? We have the tools. We have the resources. We have more knowledge accessible to us than at any other time in history. More access to that knowledge. And we ain't doing it. We ain't doing it. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.